0: What is the book of Revelation all about? What if we interpreted the book in the light of God's mission to redeem creation? Hello, I'm Brent Siddle and this is the God's Story podcast and joining me uh, today on the podcast is Dean Fleming, Professor of New Testament and Missions at Mid-America Nazarene University in Olathe, Kansas in the States. Dean has spent more than 20 years as a missionary educator in Asia and Europe, and his latest book from IVP Intervarsity Press America is called Foretaste of the Future, Reading Revelation in Light of God and Mission. And as you might have guessed, this is not your usual interpretation of the book of Revelation. It's absolutely fascinating. So Dean joins me now. Dean, hi from the States.
1: Greetings. Good to be with you.
0: It's a pleasure to have you with us, sir. Now, how are you personally brought up to interpret and understand the book of Revelation?
1: Well, growing up in the church, uh, I really didn't hear a lot of preaching on Revelation, except for maybe the safe parts, chapters 2 and 3, that are the messages to the seven churches. Uh, But what I did hear taught me to read it mainly as a book of prophecies, predictions about the future. And I remember one time we had a prophecy expert come to our church, and he had this long chart. It was like a play by play script of how the end times would unfold. And as a teenager, I was a part of a youth group that went to. Uh, view a movie that graphically tried to show how it would be like for to be left behind on Earth when Christians were raptured to heaven, and it really scared me. And then later in college, I explored some prophecy books like Hal Lindsey's Late Great Planet Earth*, uh, that really tried to connect the dots between the Book of Revelation and current events that were taking place at that time in the Middle East, and and that just confused me. So basically, I I tried to ignore the book of Revelation. I I probably thought of it something like bad-tasting medicine. (laughs) It it was probably good for me, but if you gave me the chance, I'd avoid it. Uh, And even after my theological training, I didn't want to have a lot to do with Revelation. It it was just too confusing and too weird. Uh, So I more or less backed into the study of Revelation. Uh, Some friends of mine decided to uh, compile a collection of essays in honor of one of my former teachers who I really respected, and they couldn't find anyone to write the essay on Revelation. And so (laughs) by default, they asked me, I suppose, as a last resort. And against my better judgment, I accepted that assignment only because I respected that teacher. Um, But in the process of writing that essay, I came across a book by Richard Baucom, the New Testament scholar, called A Theology of the Book of Revelation and it was a real game changer for me and, and allowed me to see Revelation through a different lens than the ones I had been using.
0: Yes, what does a mission-based reading of Revelation, because you, your book very much orders Revelation around uh, the th- theology of mission, which I think is brilliant, and I think that's right. I, I think it works. What does a mission-based reading of Revelation give us that other interpretations don't, do you think?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, and, and there's several things come to mind. Uh, I guess. Uh, One is that reading Revelation through a missional lens takes seriously how Revelation fits into the whole biblical story, Um, God's story, as you talk about it on this podcast. Sometimes Christians try to read Revelation as if it's disconnected from the rest of the Bible, I think. Uh, It's this weird book of visions and symbols, and it doesn't have a lot to do with the stories about Jesus that we read in the Gospels or the practical instructions of Paul's letters or even the story of Israel in the Old Testament. But I believe that Revelation shows us the fulfillment and the goal of the entire biblical story, where God's purpose for the world has been heading all along. And uh, I, I think maybe secondly, Revelation uh, from a missional perspective, take seriously the form that revelation comes to us in. Uh, revelation primarily is apocalyptic literature. It's it's a kind of writing that was much more familiar to people in John's world than to us. It, it it's highly symbolic visionary kind of communication. And John uses the popular apocalyptic symbols from his world in order to transform his reader's vision of the world. Balcom, the scholar I referred to a moment ago, says that Revelation's visions show us how God's final purpose in human, for human history is going to unfold so that God's people then and now can reimagine the present from that perspective. So in effect, John is saying this is the way things really are from the perspective of God's end time future and God's heavenly throne. Uh, Maybe I can give an example of that. In Mm. in Revelation 7, uh, John sees this multitude of worshipers of God from every tribe and language and nation standing before the throne. That's not just a picture of what it'll be like someday when we all get to heaven. That vision shapes who we are and why we're here in the present as well. It calls the church to become a community where the barriers of nation and tribe and race and culture dissolve in spite of the polarizing forces that are around us. So uh, I I think a missional reading allows revelation to uh, help us to become a sneak preview of God's future now
0: yes in what ways is god's mission about restoring the creation and restoring this world
1: yeah uh, i i think it's very much so uh revelation tells us the story of a sovereign and loving god who is on a mission to save people of every nation and bring the whole creation to the goal he intended it to be in the first place that all creation might flourish under his loving rule And he accomplishes that through Jesus, the the slaughtered lamb, and by the power of the Holy Spirit in the world. And, And that has clear implications for this world, because if God is trying to make everything new and bring about the restoration of all of creation, that that means that we need to line up with what God is doing, and that we live as a foretaste of that in the present. that that God's mission is not only about saving people, but restoring the whole creation.
0: We mentioned that uh, Revelation was a book of symbols. In what ways is a slaughtered lamb, you've already referred to this, I think, in what ways is a slaughtered lamb the master symbol of the apocalypse?
1: Well, I think Revelation shows us how God is accomplishing his universal mission of the world. And against all expectations, he's doing that by means of a wounded lamb. In chapter 5, we're introduced to that symbol of the slaughtered lamb, and it becomes the defining symbol and the lens by which we are able to understand the whole book, including the visions of judgment that follow. Uh, the, The lamb really unlocks God's beautiful plan to redeem every tribe and nation precisely because he suffers and dies, and that's at the very heart of the gospel that we see in Revelation.
0: What does sacrificial lamb-like mission look like if Jesus' ministry and the person of Jesus and his sacrifice is our model for mission in the world? What does sacrificial lamb-like mission look like in our communities?
1: That's that's a wonderful question, uh, because I, I think that symbol of the slain lamb doesn't simply tell us that God will restore all creation through the crucified Jesus. It also shows us how that will happen. God's mission is lamb-like. God defeats all of the powers that oppose him, not by brute force and violence, but by self-giving love. And and I think that symbol was really important to the original readers of Revelation because it challenges the ways that the Roman Empire would have functioned for John's readers. Rome ruled by the power of violence and conquest by the spear and the cross But Jesus conquers by sacrificing his life in self-giving love on that very cross. And and, and thinking about how that might apply to us today, uh, Christians may be tempted at times to carry out God's purposes by means of coercion or othering others, at at least in, in my context. That sometimes happens, for example, by taking our country back for God and sometimes even justifying the use of force but those kind of pressure techniques remain completely incompatible with a book that makes the center of universal worship a bleeding lamb
0: so our mission in the church is going to be sacrificial and is going to involve suffering exactly how is the lamb also the lion in revelation I'm, we live in I'm, I'm talking in new zealand and i am surrounded by sheep and lambs. Yes. and I, I have images of a warrior lamb. Yeah, sometimes you come across very aggressive lambs that <laughs> have a go at you. I've been attacked by a lamb when I was a child. But how, how, is, how is a lamb? It's completely irrelevant. But how is the lamb also the lion in Revelation?
1: Well, we have that picture uh, in Chapter 5 of John in the throne room before the throne. And he is weeping. Because no one is worthy to open the scroll that represents God's purposes for the world. And John hears that someone is worthy. And he is told that that is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Of course, that's a powerful messianic figure that's going to deliver God's people and defeat God's enemies. But what he actually sees is something else. The slaughtered lamb. And that is totally against all expectations. But... I think the slain lamb doesn't simply replace the powerful lion of Judah, it redefines its role. The wounded lamb is also the victorious Lord. God conquers sin and Satan and all his enemies through the death of a vulnerable lamb. That's the paradox of Revelation. Mm. And I think we have to see both of those together. It's not that they cancel one another out, but the lamb redefines what that powerful lion is about.
0: And the church's response throughout Revelation, as far as I can tell, is that we're called to bear faithful witness. And faithful witness is such an important theme in the book, isn't it? How is faithful witness embedded in the DNA, if I can put it like that, of Revelation?
1: Yeah. Well, in in the first place, because we're following Jesus, who is called the faithful and true witness. And and I think you're exactly right. We see this stream of costly and and prophetic witness empowered by the Spirit running all the way through Revelation. Uh, One of the most important symbols of the church in Revelation comes in chapter 11 in the vision of the two witnesses, And in many ways, the story of the two witnesses follows the pattern of Jesus himself. Uh, They begin with great success and perform miracles like Jesus in his early ministry, but then they face suffering and humiliation and death. And finally, they are raised to life and ascend to heaven. And I think one thing that shows us is the church's witness is a witness of both word and life, just as Jesus' witness was. And so they prophesy and proclaim God's word, but their lives also proclaim the gospel as they follow the pattern of Christ in his suffering and resurrection. And as a result, in chapter 11, by the time you get to the end of that vision, a vast number of the earth's people turn to God. And and I think sometimes today Christians wrestle with that question. uh, What should be our priority in Christian witness? What we say or how we live? And it's a bit like asking which wing of an airplane is more important. Surely it involves both. And that witness happens in the public square. Everything these witnesses do is visible for all to see. Uh, We don't coerce people to follow Christ. We bear witness by living out the self-giving love of Jesus. And that completely countercultural lifestyle has power, I think, by the Spirit to draw others to Christ. Um, but it's it's not a witness of uh, for the faint of heart it, like like the two witnesses it may cost us everything it's it's a witness that often involves suffering.
0: You write about the, and we should add in, uh, at this point in the interview, that this book is, for the listener, is, is, is stunningly, visually stunning because it's filled with the most wonderful reproductions of medieval manuscripts, pages of medieval manuscripts of Revelation, which I loved. And most of them, I think, are um, many of them are in colour, aren't they? And that, that's a beautiful thing. But it, it points out how violent, in many ways, the book of Revelation is. Why is, why is Revelation such a violent book?
1: Yeah, that, that's a good question, because uh, I think that's where a lot of us have the most trouble with Revelation, and I think that's that's true for me as well. God's redeeming love in Revelation has a flip side, and and the largest part of Revelation, chapter 6 through 20, is peppered with these terrifying visions of judgment, like, like the eschatological harvest of chapter 14, where we end up with a flash flood of blood covering large swaths of the earth you're right, there's no way to avoid it. Revelation is violent. So what is the role of judgment in God's mission? Can we reconcile God's mission and God's judgment? That's the question I think we're left with. And that's not an easy question to answer, but I think part of it may be that God's love is a holy love. God's love does not compromise with evil, but overcomes it with righteous judgments. God's unrelenting faithfulness to creation and to humanity makes necessary a divine war against evil and against empire. Nothing will stop God's purpose to redeem the world. So God's judgment then becomes a necessary means, not an end. And I think maybe something else is important that these visions of judgment and revelation in the first place are not directed toward unbelievers. In the first place, they come as a warning and a wake up call to the church and a call to repent. Uh, But I think the good news is that judgment is not the last word in Revelation. Beyond the destruction of evil is the new Jerusalem and the triumph of the loving mission of God and the new creation.
0: Mm -hmm. We're gonna come on and talk about the new Jerusalem in a minute. But before we do, I want to ask you this question. Uh, In what sense is Revelation all about worship?
1: Yeah, this is something that I did not really recognize for a long time.
0: It's a book about worship, isn't it, too?
1: It is, Mm. yeah. In fact, I like what Eugene Peterson says. He says, Revelation is a book of worship, and John is our worship leader. And Mm. when you look at the very beginning, John receives his visions on the Lord's day in a worship setting. And then near the end of Revelation, two times the angels tell John to worship God and not some inferior being. And then it closes in a worship setting. Jesus promises, I am coming soon, and God's people answer in a liturgical response, Amen, come Lord Jesus. And then in between those bookends, we have worship songs and hymns and liturgical acts that pepper the whole book. In fact, a lot of the theology of Revelation is communicated in worship hymns. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things, and by your will they are created and have their being. And worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. But I think sometimes one thing we might miss is that worship is also missional. When Christians gather to worship, they publicly announce that God sits on the throne of the universe and Caesar or any other power or idol does not. The goal of God's mission in the world is that people of every tribe and nation will worship and serve him through all eternity. And so near the end of the book of Revelation, we find his servants worshiping him in the new Jerusalem. So our lives of worship now are a foretaste of God's coming kingdom. And and in a sense, our task is to invite outsiders to join the worship choir, to be a part of what's going
0: on there. Someone once said to me, Revelation was the loudest book ever written, and I think they were right. It's just full of music and praise and sound. Um, Absolutely. Amazing, amazing sound. Coming back to the New Jerusalem, why does Revelation then culminate in this terrific fabulous vision of the new Jerusalem, the city coming down from heaven. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, I think in part because it represents the goal of God's entire purpose, God's entire mission in the world from the beginning. It's it's the culmination of the entire biblical story. And God himself says in Revelation 21.5, see, I am making everything new. There is A sense in which Genesis and Revelation are bookends to the entire story of God's restoring mission on the behalf of all creation. The Bible begins with creation and it ends with a renewed creation. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth and calls them good. And in the end, God brings about a new heaven and a new earth. It is the good creation made new. The story of God's mission starts in a garden with two people communing with God, and it finishes in a city, the New Jerusalem, that is a kind of urban garden in which people from every tribe and nation live in the immediate presence of God, and they are flourishing with abundant life. John's picture of the New Jerusalem reveals God's ultimate purpose for the world. And and that is the flourishing of humanity and all creation when God's presence drenches the whole earth. But that new creation also casts its light into the present. And it calls us to embody the life of New Jerusalem on the very streets of Babylon, to use the language of Revelation. So so maybe uh, let, let me give you an example of what that might look like. Revelation depicts New Jerusalem as a healing community. There's a beautiful picture there where in chapter 22, the tree of life grows on either side of the river of life. And it says the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And that wholeness touches every wound that sin and evil have inflicted on humanity. But if we live as a trailer of the future, then we are called to become communities of hope and healing in and among the world's nations today. Uh, For example, I've I've seen one of my former students help start a network uh, of such communities of healing in his home country, of Germany. And they bring hope in a multitude of ways to refugees, to urban youth, the elderly, the homeless, the unreligious. Uh, Recently, they intervened on behalf of a sex worker named Emanuela to help her to complete desperately needed Forms for her health insurance and get her connected to a debt counselor, but then they gave him gave her something even greater: unconditional love and friendship. And in acts like that, new creation breaks into the city. We become a foretaste of that new creation now. And and I think we could talk about the restored creation as well, that that as you said, Revelation pictures New Jerusalem coming down to merge with a transformed earth. And so that city becomes a picture of ecological harmony and the flourishing of all creation in God's presence. Um, God isn't just interested in wic- rescuing people out of a wicked world so they can escape to heaven. God wants to bring Liberation to all creation and the forces that enslave it, and restore creation to what He intended in the first place, and and that has implications for uh, how we treat the care of creation today. And and I think that those who are called to that particular ministry, that is a missional calling. That is part of what God is doing in the world.
0: Mm. Well, Dean, we we could talk on and on for many hours about the Book of Revelation. Just before we go, do you have a favorite bit? Do you have a favorite part of Revelation? A favorite chapter? Uh,
1: I think it would have to be chapters twenty-one and twenty-two, the the New Jerusalem passages that we just talked about. I think that would have to be my my favorite, and those two verses that I just mentioned. Behold, I'm doing every, I'm making everything new, and the leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. Those have just captured me as I think about the implications of Revelation for our lives and our Christian communities today.
0: Yes, it's an awesome book. So uh, if you haven't read Revelation in a while and you're listening to this podcast, go and and read Revelation. It's fantastic. And do pick up a copy of this book from IVP America by Dean Fleming, Professor of New Testament and Missions at Mid-America Nazarene University in Olathe in Kansas. And the book is called Foretaste of the Future, Reading Revelation in Light of God and Mission. And thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge who sponsor this podcast and take care of things behind the scenes. Dean, thank you so much for your time, sir.
1: Thank you, it's been a privilege to be with you. Oh,
0: the privilege was mine. Thank you so much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating and leave a review. This will help more people discover God's story for themselves. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more, please visit godstorypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's godstorypodcast.com.